This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. So why do you rewatch your Instagram story views? I'm really interested to see. There are certain people that I follow on Instagram that I want to know that they checked. I think it's interesting like, to see people that I no longer talk to, that I had some kind of like romantic relationship with that still watch my stories. I don't use it myself. My philosophy is that I want to be able to creep on people without them knowing I'm creeping on them. I'm like, Why are you looking at my Instagram at midnight on Valentine's Day? If you don't want to stay there for more than 24 hours, why do I want to view it? It must not be that important. I will mostly watch Mario's Instagram stories. Sometimes they like get back into watching my stories so I just block them. I would find out that he was homeless from Instastory of all places. Welcome to Why'd You Push That Button? A podcast where Caitlin Tiffany, that's me, and Ashley Carmen, hello, examine the choices that technology forces us to make. Today, we're talking about Instagram stories and we're talking specifically about re-watching them and just looking at the names of everyone who's viewed them over and over. So we all know what Instagram is. It's a photo sharing platform. And a little over a year ago, Instagram basically stole a feature from Snapchat called Stories. Stories are different from your permanent Instagram posts. So when you post the stories, that content only lives for about a day. And after that, it disappears. None of your friends can see it anymore. You can save it to your phone and have it forever and revisit yourself. But no one that follows you will be able to see it. Another key differentiating feature of story versus grid is that on the grid you can only see who's liked a photo but on a story you can see anyone who's looked at it. You don't get notifications about people watching your story. You have to actively make the decision to go check. What made me really intrigued about stories was that I noticed whenever I was out with my friends who also post the stories I would catch them and myself re-watching our own content live. So I would capture like you drinking a water bottle right now mm-hmm. and then in 15 minutes I might go back and re-watch that video I took of you drinking from that water bottle while you're still sitting across me because we're still together this kept happening and I was like it's so weird that we do this that we keep enjoying our own content over and over and over again in some sort of self-congratulatory pat on the back huh okay I mean I think this is rather I don't use Instagram stories almost ever like maybe unless I'm like drunk at a wedding and I'm like oh my god everything is so beautiful everyone has to see the magic of love (laughs) or whatever I don't do it because I know I would do what you're saying first of all I would sit there and I would rewatch it over and over and over I would also like look at who was viewing it and this is um I think even though this was like also part of Snapchat stories, I think a key difference between Instagram stories and Snapchat stories is that Snapchat is just your cell phone contacts, whereas Instagram is your entire Facebook friend list. So that's like hundreds more people, for most people, hundreds more people who could be watching your Instagram stories. So I know that if I were to post Instagram stories, I would constantly replay them I would constantly be looking for specific names in there when I was posting Instagram stories very briefly I would post one and then like wait for whatever dude I liked at the time to watch it and then I didn't care anymore I was like well that's the thing you are. Is I do do that too where I don't produce for the exes but <laughs> I produce and I hope the exes will see that I'm thriving yeah I have before wanted very badly to watch someone's Instagram story in the early stages of dating someone when I don't 
don't follow them on Instagram and certainly wouldn't want them to see that I had watched their Instagram story will ask to use someone else's phone Mm -hmm. to watch their Instagram story. I did this quite recently with our good friend, anonymous Fox Media Matt, who was on the episode about Super Legs. He gallantly gave me his phone so that I could watch a boy's Instagram story without him knowing. I did that with Chris, another former podcast guest, my boyfriend, (laughs) when when I first discovered his Instagram, I specifically called up my best friend in LA, and I was like, hey girl, I need you to go watch this story and I think as I was Wait, there you called someone that's she way and I weirder. were on the phone already um. anyway we really <laughs> got off on a tangent here but the the point we were trying to make is that we care about the people who are posting the content creators and how they're obsessed with those views so Instagram puts stories at the top of the feed so immediately when someone opens up Instagram you'll see little bubbles of people who have posted stories in the past day Typically, they're sorted by some kind of algorithm that chooses like your best friends or whoever's content you watch the most. And those people are put first. But you have the choice to tap on one of those bubbles and enter into the stories mode and watch those stories. Instagram automatically pushes you to the next story. If not, you can drop off whenever. Yeah. Well, that's another issue with Instagram stories for me is that you can see if I post, say, like three photos and two short videos to my Instagram story, um, I can look at each individual one. And mm-hmm. see like, oh, well, this person watched the first three things I posted and then they got bored and they clicked out of my story. Yes. Like that is very heartbreaking for me because I'm extremely sensitive and I also need attention at all times. <laughs> so it just seems to me like this. I have deliberately removed myself from the Instagram story ecosystem because I know I would develop like really unhealthy behaviors. It could be bad for your health. Yeah. So you talked to... An influencer. Let's call her an influencer. She's certainly an influencer. Yeah, she is. One of the biggest influences in my life. Yeah. We brought our our good friend, Claire Caracillo. Caracillo. Think about like four words together. Caracillo. Caracillo. She's really using the format in an interesting way. And also just because we know Claire and I've had conversations with her before about compulsive social media use. I suspected that she would have some thoughts on this topic. I'm actually working in cognitive behavioral therapy to curb my checking behavior. (laughs) One of the things we asked Claire about was Instagram stories have this new feature called polls. I am able to see who viewed my story as well as who voted in my poll and how. Because this is a new feature, people didn't realize that's how it worked. Yeah, people didn't know how it worked. So I made the poll of my face and the poll said, am I gorgeous? Yes, no. I was getting a 100% gorgeous approval rating. But then started being 98%. Check back a couple minutes later. 96%. One of the no's was a dear friend of mine from high school. He was just doing a bit, I guess. The other one was a girl that I've never met before. I also asked Claire about whether or not she looks at specific names in her viewer list, if she is waiting for certain people to see her stories. And she said, I'm shocked to find some of my classmates who don't pay mind to me in the classroom checking out my Instagram stories every damn day. It's usually people that, again, I like don't interact with, but I want them to know I exist. So as I mentioned earlier, I always rewatch my own content and I feel kind of 
insane. Like I'm on this loop and loop and loop of watching my own stuff. Did you ask Claire about this? And does she do it too? You will be relieved to know that you are not alone in this world. I'll go back and look at my story, look at the photo that I put up of myself, look up the video I put up myself. Not only check out how I look again, but then scroll up with my thumb and see who's watching this story, who's replying to this story. And those are really satisfying numbers to see. So it sounds like Claire is kind of like us. She cares about her content. She likes to make content. She's just building her brand. Oh, I've got 158 on this one of me eating a special edition Dunkin' Donuts spooky donut today. Yeah, I think as far as being just like us, I don't know if I think about my personal brand on Instagram too much, but I did find it like very comforting to hear someone else say that they're worried about the way that they use Instagram stories in some ways. I mean, not that she was panicking, but she was kind of like, yeah, I do. I do wonder if this is like good. If this is like a good way to be interacting with an app. Then if I'm caught re-watching these things, it'll be like, oh, actually, she wasn't just slapdashing this together. She actually like had an intention behind it. And that is not cool. The main question for this episode is like, why do we care? Who's looking at this really ephemeral content, which is not even your best content? It's like random stuff on the ground. Mm-hmm. Like, why do we why do we care who's looking at it? It's going to be gone in 24 hours, and it never mattered in the first place. So Claire kind of said, yeah, like, she doesn't know why she cares so much, but well, I think it's always good for me to know that people have the exact same anxieties that I do. Okay, so I talked to a dad. I am a man with children. A real dad. Andy Hawkins, he's the transportation reporter at The Verge. See, this this podcast is going to make me a thousand times more neurotic about this. <laughs> Who produces what is probably my favorite Instagram story content in the world. So my Instagram stories are mostly baby-facing, so you get a lot of stuff such as my daughter riding on my shoulders, my daughter throwing her food. I would say that Ashley and I have talked about Andy's Instagram stories maybe once a week the entire time we've known each other. Yes, they're just so happy and nice. I have very cute children, and uh, I want the world to see that, or at least the the limited world that is my Instagram followers. Unlike Claire, his profile is private, so only the people he's approved can see his stories in general. I was public before I had kids, and then after kids, I I thought, hmm, I don't want, you know, skeevy people skeeving out to my kids and or brands trying to monetize my children. So does he care, though, then, like, how many people view it? Like ex-girlfriends? He does care. He said he looks at the views. I'll definitely go through and see if I don't reach like a certain threshold of views, I'm like, oh, what was my kid? My kid was particularly ugly that day. Like, what's going on? And that's part of the reason he switched over from Snapchat. It wasn't really my my app. And I had I was already on Instagram, obviously, as well, and, and liked Instagram more. And I had more followers, and I felt like I had more of like a of, of a community on Instagram. So I pretty much ditched Snapchat cold and, and t- transitioned to Instagram at that point. Andy mentioned also that he re-watches the stories. Not necessarily while they're live, but he saves them and revisits them when he like wants to be in a better mood or just thought that was a really cute moment that he wants to relive. You know, sort of hitting that rewind button, right? Going back and, and looking at what you just did sort of provides a warm feeling sometimes. That's so much more endearing than like me taking a selfie and looking at it 14 times to make sure there's not like... A stray eyebrow hair (laughs) on your face. What really stands out to me between Claire and Andy's interviews is even though both of them use the platform very differently, they've both developed a 
Very strong voice. We know a Claire's story versus an Andy story. When you're a dad, you can't really be self-conscious anymore. Have you ever seen a picture of yourself from the back? You can like see your fat hanging over your bra. And they also both do care about the views. Right. So they are developing personal brands and they are invested in checking up on the metrics, checking up on the success of those brands. So congrats. We're all brands. We have... Very different use cases for Instagram, but the general takeaway here seems to be that we're all slaves to the machine. Right. So we are going to talk to a man named Nir Eyal. He's an author, and he's going to explain to us why exactly we continue to rewatch our content on Instagram and why we are so hooked on the platform. This sounds scary. I don't know if I want to come back. (laughs) Please come back. So we're here with Nir Eyal. He is the author of a book called Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. Hi, Nir. Hi. And Caitlin's here, too. Hi. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. Uh, Before we really get into the Instagram stuff, can you explain to us how you got to writing this book and what it's all about and your background? Sure. Yeah. So I spent many years in the gaming and advertising industries. And at the intersection of those two industries, I saw a lot of companies come and go and a lot of different experiments run. Uh, and these these industries, I'll you know, I admit to you, these industries depend upon mind control, right? They depend upon changing your behaviors, not getting you to do things you don't want to do, but they're particularly good at getting you to do things you do want to do. Uh, you know, advertisers don't spend all that money for their health and gaming companies are masters of changing human behavior so that you enjoy their games. Uh, but in the intersection of those two industries, I learned a lot. Uh, I learned a lot of these techniques that are used to influence behavior, uh, particularly online, And uh, so after my company was acquired, I had some time on my hands and I wanted to figure out what to do next. And I was looking for a handbook for, you know, how do you use these techniques to build products for good? How do you build products that can help people build healthy habits in their lives? And I I didn't find that book. I didn't find any kind of how-to manual for the psychology of designing for engaging products. And so that's why I wrote it myself. As we are talking about on this podcast, we are all sufficiently addicted to checking our Instagram stories. And everyone checks them for very different reasons. But I want you to answer for me the straight question, why the heck are we so addicted to Instagram stories and Instagram in general? Okay, let's top it into whether you're actually addicted or not. You you know, we use this word addiction, but I I just want to make sure that we use that word properly because a lot of times it doesn't mean what people think it means. Addiction is not, I like it a lot. Addiction is not, uh, you know, I use it quite a bit. Addiction is not, you know, sometimes I even regret using it too much. Addiction is a persistent compulsive dependency on a behavior or substance that harms the user. But what most people mean when they say they're addicted to their social media is that they use it more than they like. And they use it more than they like because, look, the fact is these products are built by people who really understand what makes you click and what makes you tick better than you understand yourself. They are designed to be good (laughs) and they are built with a certain pattern in mind. And that pattern is called the hook. So a hook is, this is kind of what I describe in my book, it's this four-step model, this four-step user flow that uh, involves a trigger, an action, a reward, and finally an investment. 
And it's through successive cycles, through those four steps, that we form these long-term habits, that we change our, our patterns of behavior. So if we look at Instagram stories specifically, do you think we could break down the four steps for stories? Sure. Yeah. So let's say let's say with Instagram. Okay, so every hook starts with an external trigger. The external trigger is something that tells you what to do. It's some kind of notification, some kind of ping, some kind of ding, some kind of trigger that tells you do this next. So on Instagram, it might be a notification on your phone that says, hey, somebody you know just did something, check it out. That's the, tr the external trigger. Then the next phase of the hook is the action. Now, the action is defined as the simplest behavior done in anticipation of a reward. So what do you do when you see that notification? You open the app, right? And you start scrolling uh, the feed on Instagram and you see all these interesting photos. Now, that takes you to the next step, which is the reward phase. And, and in particular, it's about variable rewards. So one aspect of these products that we see across the board is that they, they incorporate an element of what's called an intermittent reinforcement. So this comes from the work of B.F. Skinner. You might remember Skinner from your you know, psych class back in college. He took these pigeons, he put them in a little box, and he gave them a disc to peck at. And every time the pigeon pecked at the disc, they would receive a little reward, a little food pellet. And what Skinner found was that when he gave the food pellet on a predictable schedule, so meaning every time the pigeon would peck at the disc, they would receive a reward, they did so less often than when the pigeon received the reward on a variable schedule. So sometimes the pigeon would peck at the disc and they'd get nothing. The next time they peck at the disc, they would receive a reward. And the rate of response, the number of times the pigeon pecked at the disc increased when the reward was given on a variable schedule of reinforcement. So we see that how does that relate to the products we use every day? Well, when you scroll your feed on Instagram, it's that uncertainty, right? It's some photos are interesting, some there are boring, right? There's sometimes there's videos, sometimes there's interesting comments. How many uh, likes does something get? What are the comments going to say? So all that is an element of variability, uncertainty. So variable rewards are the engine to much of human behavior, but really uh, drive all of these products and services that we use. And then, and then finally, the last step of the hook is the investment phase. So the investment phase is really unique to interactive products because for the first time, we are co-creating the products with the platform. And that's, that's really special. So for example, on Instagram, you know, who you follow, what you like, uh, what your comments say, you are crafting the product in real time to meet your needs. So if I were to log into your Instagram account or you were to log into mine, it would be completely boring to you because you've invested in it. You've put all this data and content and followers and reputation into the product, which makes it better and better with use. So that eventually the goal of a habit forming product like Instagram is to no longer require that external trigger at all. But eventually, if you notice, you start using these habit forming products, not because you've been triggered, but because you have a feeling that you seek to scratch, some kind of itch you seek to scratch. So that's what an internal trigger is. So when we're feeling uncertain, we Google. When we're lonely, we check Facebook or, or maybe Tinder. <laughs> if we're, uh, you know, we, we use these products because we feel a certain way and we look to some kind of, uh, of solution to that discomfort. And so that's how the hook is complete. So Instagram stories, you don't get a notification saying post to your Instagram story and you certainly don't get one saying come back and rewatch your own Instagram story five times and scroll through the list of people who watched it and see how many people finished it and see if the person that you have a crush on watched it and whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so how would 
you that is that an example of like an internal trigger and if so like what do you think has trained us to do something like that which is so odd and mostly unsatisfying <laughs> well it's i think it comes down to these internal triggers of, of emotion so i think what we're doing is we're we're looking for some kind of relief from some kind of discomfort so are we feeling lonely are we feeling bored are we stressed are what are we escaping from what uncomfortable emotion are we uh using this product for okay what emotional state would i be in if i just want to see if my ex watched my instagram story well you you tell me I don't know. What do you think? I don't. Here's the thing, though, is I don't care about my ex. Like, if I saw him on the street, it'd be totally fine. Like, hey, what's up? No, literally zero feeling toward him at all. But yet, I want to see that he watched my story. Maybe it's that, um, like, vindication. Like, I'm like, oh, he still cares. Mm -hmm. Oh, could that be it? Yeah. Like, the driving motivator of my life is is spite. And I've said that on this podcast before. And I've said it on every <laughs> first date I've ever been on. Um, <laughs> so I think, like, that's part of it. It's like... You know, I need I need to know that you saw that I'm doing well and but at the same time I don't have to do anything to show you. Like I don't have to reach out to you and say, Hello, I'm doing well. Yeah, I mean there there certainly is an aspect of and there's a lot of evolutionary benefit to that. I mean, if you look at the if you if you really want to go back two hundred thousand years to what made our species so successful, I mean, the reason we have this instinct to look good in front of others is because it's evolutionarily beneficial, right? We we want the, the reason that we dress a certain way. Some evolutionary biologists think this is the whole reason we have hair on our heads. So we spend a lot of time, and it's perfectly natural, to want to show people what's in our heads by the way we look, right? That's nothing new. So that's in our DNA. Now, the tools have changed, right? So now we don't do it just by the way we dress and the makeup we use. Uh, we also do it by how we portray our image online. Our podcast, typically, we talk about design and how design specifically um, affects how we use products. So I'm just wondering if you can talk a little bit about the design of Instagram stories, which you have to tap through to watch stories and then swipe up to view who has seen your stories. So I'm just wondering if you can talk at all about like those design decisions and if you think there's anything there about how that could encourage a habit-forming product. Sure. So I think there's a, in the, the engine here is the variability. A lot of the draw of using Instagram in general or social media in general is the uncertainty around what you might find, right? What you might see. And I think these layers of, okay, you got to open the app. Then there's, you know, there's the feed. Then there's a layer deeper. There's the stories. And then in within the stories, there's, you know, more when you swipe up. It's these increasing layers of they're trying to motivate more action because they know the more actions you take, they're training you, they're habituating you to come back and do that behavior again and again and again. You know, if you put too much information, like let's say they put everything on one screen, that tends to overwhelm the user. The, the rule tends to be one action per screen. And so that's what I think Instagram has done really well is that it, it's this progressive disclosure of more and more interesting content. And they're teaching you more and more the intricacies of how to use the app so that you can do more with it, you've invested more in it, Right, the more time you put into this, this is the psychological phenomenon. It's called the IKEA effect or the endowment effect. The more effort you put into something, the more you like it. And so the, the deeper they can get you to go into the app, uh, the more you likely you are to come back in the future. So this like uncertainty then, as far as like rewatching Instagram stories, this like sounds to me as an explanation for why they would give you a list of names instead of just a raw number, because like 
I want to scroll through the list of names and be surprised by like somebody watching it that I didn't expect or something like that, as opposed to like a number yeah. which just like doesn't have that much to, to ponder. That, that's a fantastic insight. And they know too that it's not to all your friends, right? People's on Facebook, people have many more friends than they have followers on Instagram. And so it's probably a factor of, oh, if you saw that number and you compared it to how, what that number looks like on Facebook to so the number of likes you get on Facebook, it's not going to be as big. So they have to make it more interesting with a limited number of people. And so, you know, having, oh, you know, this friend saw it versus that friend saw it. And you have to uh, you know, you scroll through and sometimes on it, somebody unexpected saw it. That all increases the, the amount of variability. Focusing specifically on the idea of like rewatching your own story over and over. I'm curious about like the impulse to like go back and and look at your own content or like just not even looking at who's watched it, but just like rewatching it. I, I don't know if I've that's also something noticed that... this in just photo albums too, where not digital on your photo gallery, like going back and watching your Instagram stories there that you saved. We mm-hmm. had a, someone on the show who did this with his kids. He would save his stories. And if, if he was in a mood to, I don't know, reminisce or remember when his babies were a little bit younger, he would go watch those stories. So, Or people also will just yeah, like so. stare at their own grid. Uh-huh. <laughs> Well, this this can go pretty deep in terms of uh, the psychological need it fulfills. It, it also can get a little bit dark, but I'll I'll, I'll take a stab. <laughs> we we uh, love, love to get dark. When it gets dark. So yes, <laughs> so, so fundamentally, people have been obsessed with their own image forever, right? Since the story of Narcissus, right, the Greek mythological tale. Like people have always been fascinated by their own face and their own their own image. Up until recently, if you ask people, hey, you know, your house is on fire, God forbid, what's the first thing you run in and save and bring out of your house? And they're going to tell you their photo albums. You know, young people don't don't keep photo albums anymore. But, you know, in my generation and younger, that was the most valuable thing you had What was your photo albums. And there's a lot of interesting psychology around why that is. I mean, if you think about, you know, the Kodak camera, why, why did Kodak become this multi-billion dollar company? And what, you know, what, what was it about the photograph that, that was so uh, important to people is that you're, you're really cheating death, right? Is that by capturing a moment, by holding on to a memory, you are dealing with this discomfort of you're going to die. And all of this is or not because, you know, <laughs> soon we're all going to pass. So in a way, we are holding on to a moment of immortality. Now, I'm not saying that's driving why you like to look at, at you know, past Instagram posts. It could very well be that you're bored and you want something to do and, you know, you're waiting for the bus and you, you just want to pass the time and you want to, you know, a bit of nostalgia also is, is at work there. Uh, but fundamentally, like, I think part of the reason why we want to capture these moments and then, you know, go back and look at them at some point is because we're, we're holding on to life in a way. Wowie. Okay. <laughs> We're going to sit with that one for a minute. <laughs> um. All right. So, wow. That was an intense interview, which I loved every second of it. I was obsessed with everything we talked about during that interview. Ashley was spitting in her chair. Yeah, I was so happy. It was like a dog wagging its tail. I had to get out some smelling salts. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) There's so many takeaways. (laughs) Yeah, no, that was fascinating. But I mean, we were, of course, selfishly listening to the highlights that pertain specifically to our question. Why do we care who watches our Instagram stories? And why do we compulsively check who's watched them? And rewatch our own content. Those are three behaviors that kind of go together. Yeah. And he spoke a lot about this emotional need. We have emotional needs. It's just weird because 
I guess I never really think about how at the end of the day, the human brain has been the same for millennia. Mm -hmm. It's just been the brain. (laughs) Like nothing's changed. We've always had these emotions and they exist and we've had different ways to deal with them. And it's bizarre to me that Instagram has become a crutch upon which to lean for emotional support. I guess in the terms of Instagram stories, like if you're feeling like lonely or weird or like you haven't done anything interesting in a few minutes, you can go back and look at your story and be like, oh, well now I feel a little boost because like my cool friend Ashley watched my story all the way to the end or my ex-boyfriend watched my story all the way to the point where he got to this like 10 second vid of me making out with some rando and then he stopped. So maybe it hurt his feeling. But what's weird is that when I post Instagram stories, okay, sometimes it is like a humble brag. Not that I'm doing something overtly cool, but more just, oh, I'm out with people I care about. I think the world should see that I have cool friends and we do cool things and I'm happy. Mm -hmm. But I don't specifically post, obviously this can't happen, but right now in my life, I don't specifically post thinking I'm feeling a bit insecure Therefore, I should post, and therefore, it should be a hot picture of me so that my ex sees it. Like, I don't have, I can't believe I'm this emotionally complex. That was, (laughs) that's why I was a little bit shocked by what Nier was saying, is because he sort of made it seem like we have this crazy emotional, deep layer to us that is acting on its own and making us click on the Instagram. And I'm like, I don't, am I really that deep? Mm, I I will say, like, sometimes when I, spend an entire day alone I like feel myself drawn more to social media just to remind myself that I exist and that other people exist like towards the end of the summer I walked to Coney Island by myself it took like three hours it was like really stupid and not fun I don't remember it like once I got there it was nice but like on the way there like once an hour or so I would like take a picture of something and think about tweeting it and then I'd be like I have tweeted too much about my weird loner walk today but like I really want to like feel like people know where I am because I'm by myself and then I also paid like ten dollars to use a photo booth and take pictures of myself (laughs) to make myself real to me (laughs) it's just wild that to think okay that's an obvious lonely situation but Mm -hmm. to think you're at a party where you shouldn't be lonely I guess lonely doesn't have to be the emotion but you shouldn't feel these intense feelings Mm -hmm. I don't think, that would compel you to post or check your views. Yet, we're in these social situations and clearly having many emotions if this theory is true that Nira is telling us. Mm -hmm. He also brought up just like evolutionarily like people just love their own faces. So maybe like that's just all. It's true. I love selfies. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You just want to like look at your own face. And also um, I think he was talking about how like apps are designed to – to be addictive, I think Instagram has sort of the similar draw to like early MySpace where it wasn't even necessarily like feedback that was addictive. It was just like it's really people love to like tinker and curate their image and like tweak it and adjust it and like spend so much time making it look perfect. So like if you're rewatching your Instagram story, I feel like that's kind of similar to how you would spend a whole day like redoing and and thinking about your your MySpace page, like yeah. you would also be like, oh, did I do a good job curating this two minute story of my life? I'm gonna I'm gonna watch it a few more times. Maybe delete one part that I think is dumb now, or like. Well, whatever. and he mentioned the idea of the more work you put into it, the more you care about it mm-hmm. and enjoy the product. And I can specifically think of people who I know who put a lot of work into their Instagram stories and influencers too. 
Claire said that. Like she's saying like she's experimenting with it as a format and learning about it and like really and the more teaching herself. She's to doing that, be good at the more it. she's going to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um and then also what he touched on in regards to rewatching old content, this is where he was like, It's gonna get dark and we were like, yeah, um, we that, that up. <laughs> it's like similar to photo albums um, in that like you can revisit them to feel like you're staving off death, um, which I thought was interesting in terms of what Andy was saying, where his Instagram stories are not really for a huge public audience. They're not really for validation. He mostly puts them up and then saves them and looks at them later just like on his phone. Um, so that's like really more like him making a photo album than it is... Um, you putting up something to spite an spite an ex or me putting up something to be like, okay, now 112 people know that I'm in Gravesend, Brooklyn, across from the air conditioner outlet. <laughs> like Andy's just like wants to be immortalized. And that's cool. Like, yeah. That's fine, Andy. We're, Long live we're, Andy. We are honestly. here to support <laughs> you being alive forever. And Caitlin and I will gladly help you on that journey for sure. In any way that we can, which could mean watching your Instagram stories. I have no idea what way I could possibly help Andy stay alive. Perhaps like the brain in a jar, crowdfunded. Oh my god! I don't know. All right, we got to wrap this up. We hope that you enjoyed this episode and learned a lot about the buttons you push. As we've been saying for the past few weeks, it is coming up very, very soon. We are doing our special holiday spectacular where we will be playing your audio clips or reading your emails. So please send us all of your things about buttons that you've pressed that have gone wrong. Stories, particularly, mm-hmm. I said the things. Just send us your stories. Holidays are coming. Time for existential dread. Yes, at buttonattheverge.com. Yay. Also, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ashley R. Carmen. I'm K-A-I-T underscore Tiffany. And uh, feel free to throw us a review in the podcast app. All right, that's it for us. Don't think about death too hard. It will depress you, but it also might make you more alive. I don't know. Great. We're going to eat lunch. Bye. Bye.